Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. What do every single one of us have in common with Heat coach Eric Spolster? We've all spent the last 24 hours trying to figure out what can the Heat possibly do to win game four? It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And look, I, I make this statement in jest, Harry, partially, but partially not. Part of what has ruled us throughout the course of this series is the recency bias of what we just saw. And what we just saw in the last game was a Nuggets team that came out on fire with the Nuggets team that came out physically dominant with the Heat team that couldn't shoot. And all of a sudden, you got a 2-1 win. And it feels like, well, or a 2-1 lead in the series, I should say. And right now, it feels like Denver is on the cusp of being able to just make this thing a total blowout. If you're Miami, you're looking around asking one question. What can we do to win the next game? Oh, that's easy for me, Fitz. If we're talking about the Miami Heat and you're looking at their two losses, I think the supporting cast of Bam Adebayo and also Jimmy Butler, we know that those guys are going to be able to, you know, provide and, you know, anchor the Miami Heat. But I think the secondary players are what has to be great in this ball game, in this game four tonight down in Miami. The Gabe Vincent, who didn't have a good outing in game three. You know, Max Struess, who's been up and down in this entire playoffs. Caleb Martin, who was phenomenal versus the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, but really hasn't been that same player in the NBA Finals against the Denver Nuggets. Kyle Lowry coming off the bench and being a spark um, offensively, hitting threes. But not just hitting threes, but also defensively, being a pest. The supporting cast of the Miami Heat, I think in Game 4, are going to be very, very key if the Heat decide and if they want to have success tonight against the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, everything you're saying makes total sense because it's not just going to take Jimmy and Bam. We're going to have a lot of conversation over the course of the next three hours on this show and on every show on ESPN Radio about what Bam needs to do and what Jimmy needs to do. But what have we learned in this series? Those two guys being absolutely epic and unstoppable isn't necessarily enough. You're going to need those two guys being at their best. And to your point, you're going to need somebody else shooting well. And one thing that we've sort of grappled with throughout the course of this playoffs is the fact that during the regular season, Miami didn't shoot well from outside. During the playoffs, they have shot well from outside. During this series, they it felt like they found their rhythm in Game 2 and lost it in Game 3. How they get that back quickly in Game 4 is going to be absolutely key because, frankly, it, there's this, this balance here. I, I don't think I'm overstating this here. You tell me. The Heat need everything to go right. This isn't just one, two, or three things. They don't need one or the other. They need one and the other if they want to have a shot in this game. No, I agree with you 1,000%. But I think if, if, if you had to number you know, what they need to go right, I, I think like number one, they have to hit their three-pointers. They have to hit the outside shot. Because even if they aren't great, much so in the other areas, making your three-pointers actually gives you an opportunity to still linger around and hang into the ball game. If you aren't hitting your shots from the perimeter, I don't think it gives you any shot of hanging in this ballgame and having a chance of winning it, especially late or early on. I think I agree with a lot of that. The only thing I would add is one other element that's I think, particularly key 
is something we saw them do in the second half to Jamal Murray, where they were trapping and blitzing him is the, is the right term, I guess. Uh, they were blitzing him right at the half-court line as, as early as they could to try and make life difficult for Jamal Murray, make him make quick decisions. Early in the game, it felt like they were a little passive defensively with Jamal, and Jamal was using that to get a first step, get around him, and immediately go get into the lane. They need to disrupt Jamal Murray defensively right away. I think that's every bit as key as scoring points because, as we both acknowledged throughout the course of this game, Defense is the key for both sides. We've seen these games be particularly high scoring. Defenses need to be able to string together a few stops, and that comes out. You're never going to stop Jokic. If you can at least slow down Jamal Murray, you give yourself a better chance. Yeah, and I think that's something that the head coach for the Miami Heat, Eric Spolster, uh, basically honed in and uh, owned uh, the day off that they actually had. and something Jimmy Butler is going to pay close attention to because, you know, he took a lot of heat for his game three performance from a defensive perspective and an energy and effort perspective. So I know he wants to come out in game four at his own home in Miami and show what the real Miami Heat ball club is all about from a defensive perspective. You know, allowing two guys that have a 30-point triple-double on you, you're always going to be talked about now. about In whatever light that you, you, you know, you can think of. Because that's something that's never been done. And that's something I think people will talk about for years and years if the Denver Nuggets can win this playoff series. And even if they don't win it, I believe this is something, you know, with the 30-point triple-double by, by two guys on one squad, the Batman and the Robin, that's going to be talked about forever. And if you're Jimmy Butler and company, if you're Eric Spoelstra in the Miami Heat, I would take that personal. I would take that personal and then game, game four tonight. I will have something to say about it as well. Yeah, that's right. Game four tonight. Coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, Fitz and Harry. You mentioned Eric Spolster, the Heat head coach. This is what he said to the NBA on ESPN Radio crew about where the Heat need to be better in game four. Those effort areas, those plays in between, that's where we really pride ourselves on. We have to dominate those, and then you get to graduate to deal with you know, that, uh, that two-man action, which is one of the most difficult uh, in the league. By the way, you can hear the full <laughs> interview with Spolster as he sits down with P.J. Carlosimo and Doris Burke tonight. ESPN Radio pregame coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Harry, you're laughing. What are you laughing about? I'm laughing. He says, well, you know, energy and effort first, and then you get to graduate to dealing with that two-man <laughs> monster, two-headed monster that you have over there for Denver. That was that was funny. Dude. Yeah, I, there is this moment, energy and effort. What's stuck in a lot of our heads is loose balls, right? And we talked a little bit about that yesterday, that they're just there's an urgency in in each game so far in this series. And, and frankly, I'll say this for a second. I think the urgency just transfers across all sports. I, I, as you guys know, I'm a Vegas Golden Knights fan. They lose last night in Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. They did not come out with the same level of urgency that the Panthers came out with. And I was thinking about it because I'm looking at the same arena, right? That's the same arena that the Heat play in and the same arena that the Panthers play in and thinking about the similarities here. Urgency is everything in the playoffs. And whichever team comes with more of it has a better chance of winning. I'm not even just talking about urgency and attacking the lane and trying to get to the line and all the things that we both expect will happen in this game. Also, the urgency of going after loose balls, the urgency of, of running after rebounds, the urgency of trying to play for every single possession like it's your last and doing it with a level of measuredness that doesn't get you into foul trouble. Like, there's a fine line on it, and Miami's got to dance that fine line from the outset of this game. But I'll tell you, it starts with the word identification. You have to identify what needs to be done before the game even starts. While you're walking into the arena, you know, when they have the cameras on the players, they're doing those ISOs walking in. That's the time you need to identify what needs to be done as you're getting ready to go out there on that basketball court on that floor. 
Uh, visualize what you want to do, right? Everything starts with the vision. I talk about that all the time, Fitz. And if you're the Miami Heat, energy, effort, defense, making your outside shots, not getting beat up on the boards, that's imperative that you do those things, you know, in game four. Otherwise, you're going to go back to Denver down 3-1. Yeah, and it is interesting. Again, I'll go back to watching the, the hockey game last night. Even the announcer said beforehand that you could tell walking into the building that the Panthers had a different level of focus, and then he watched that play out. I, it's interesting you mentioned as guys are walking into the arena because certainly you will get a sense and a vibe in the opening of the game to the level of intensity Miami's bringing. I do not think there's any chance Miami can come back from 3-1 to one down in this series. So you've got to see them play with the urgency that they know that everything's on the line. This is what Jimmy Butler said Thursday about whether or not the Heat need to change anything going into Game 4. I wouldn't change anything. Not one thing. Um... I continue to be who I am. We will continue to be who we are as a group, as a team. We're going to go out here and we're going to compete together. We're going to win together. And um, we're going to be who we are. I wouldn't change a thing, though. That is consistent with the messaging Jimmy Butler has given us throughout, right? Like, Jimmy Butler is, like, we talk about how Jokic is consistently level. Jimmy Butler is consistently angry. He's consistently edgy. Like, he's consistently level with that agitated, I'm not going to change a thing, we're going to be who we are, you don't believe in us, we'll be just fine mentality. And I understand exactly where he's coming from because you don't want to lose a game three and then next thing you know, you're all bent out of shape and you forget your identity, you forget who you are and who you've been this entire playoff run. You understand that they had a bad game. Right. But, you know, tweak some things and you come back in game four and you, you try to get that one at home. Doesn't that speak to what Bam Adebayo said before? And I keep mentioning That's this. Right. Eric Spolstra teaches that team all the time. There are no failures, just lessons to be learned in the process. Right. So, True you know, story. there is some level of Jimmy Butler and the way he's handling it that, that reminds you that that is part of the nature of who the Miami Heat are. That game tonight, coverage begins 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. Nuggets at Heat. The Nuggets have a 2-1 lead in the series. We've got a ton to break down, and we'll have some great guests along the way today to help us figure out what to expect for tonight's action. But coming up, some sneaky big NFL news that could change who actually wins one of the most competitive divisions in the league. We'll talk about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. This is Fitz and Harry's Love Friday. Devin, can you play the voice again? Play the voice again. This is Fitz and Harry's Love Friday. God, it feels good. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Using Friday afternoon to set the mood for Friday night. Presented by Progressive Insurance, it's Love Friday. That means the playlist is going to uh, it is going to make you feel some kind of way. Panthers fans were feeling some kind of way yesterday. 
because everybody knows Price Young, first overall pick in the draft. We spent months on this show, every show, on our work on the NFL draft together. We spent months talking about the one issue with Price Young could be his size. Can he get in there? Can he start for them right away? What's it going to look like? Well, Frank Reich, Panthers head coach, said this yesterday about the progress of Bryce Young. This was kind of the time that we had marked this week to just kind of um, move him up. It's just the next step. Bryce has continued to step in there and do a good job and continue to make progress. I love where we're at right now, but we still have a long way to go. So he continues to move up, and all indications are he will be a day one starter. Harry, I don't think that surprises any of us, but I do think it's kind of funny. You know this from playing. It's only been a few practices. So, like, he's only thrown the ball a few times for everybody, and they're like, yep, he's moving right up. (laughs) Well, I think we all know – when it comes to Bryce Young, what he was able to do at Alabama. But you look at a guy that's mature, and he's going to be able to command a huddle, and that's huge, right? Maturity and being able to command a huddle and getting guys who are way older than you to follow you and follow your lead. We know he's cool, calm, and collected. That's how you have to be at the quarterback position. But he's a former Heisman Trophy winner, a guy that did phenomenal things, can play inside the pocket, very instinctive, can improvise uh, when a play breaks down and extend it. He scrambles to look downfield and throw the football, and it, but then if it's not there, he's able to run. I like this offensive line um, going into their second year of, of, of rebuilding that line. I think the back half of last year, they really started to come together. Getting Miles Sanders to be able to take some pressure off of Bryce Young early on to go along with Chuba Hubbard. Uh, pairing in that backfield, I think it's going to pay huge dividends. Getting a tight end like Dalton Schultz, we all know a phenomenal tight end is a quarterback-friendly type guy, and I believe Dalton Schultz can be that guy for the Carolina Panthers. So I'm really, really looking forward to you know seeing this team. Excuse me, I'm talking about Hayden Hurst. Excuse me, Hayden Hurst is uh, can be a phenomenal uh, outlet for for Bryce Young. But I'm really looking forward to seeing this young guy. You know who they have week one. They have my Atlanta Falcons. So looking forward to see uh, Bryce Young up close and in person. All right. So that brings us to a little game we like to play on this where we take a look at the best and the worst possible outcomes this season. This is Fitz and Harry. Like the ceiling can hold us. I'm on the floor, floor. It's time to play ceiling and the floor for rookie quarterbacks. All right, this is a simple uh, process. We're going to break, break down the rookie quarterbacks. You just said a lot about Bryce Young. That's absolutely true. We'll figure out this year what the ceiling is, what's the best uh, that it looks like this year, and what's the floor for each of these rookies. And let's start with the top four rookies, by the way. Uh, somehow Aiden O'Connell didn't make it on this list. Let's start with the great Bryce Young. You just mentioned all the reasons you're hiding him. So what do you think the ceiling is for Bryce Young? I actually think rookie of the year, winning rookie of the year and being able to be that, you know, that feasible piece at the quarterback position to go along with that great defense that they have in Carolina. And this division is wide open. So they have an opportunity to kill out of Panthers. So I think Bryce Young, if he's phenomenal in his rookie year, can actually, you know, lead the Carolina Panthers to have an opportunity to win the division. And if they're able to do that, that means he's probably going to win rookie of the year. Yeah, I agree with you totally. 7-10 and 10 last year for Carolina, but still now they, they start over completely. Rookie of the year feels right, and I think a division championship could be the ceiling for him. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but, you know, we're being positive. So the floor for me is still going to be very good for Bryce Young. It's still going to be a learning curve. The floor for me on Bryce is... You know, they win four or five games, but we realize that he is the guy moving forward. Throws too many picks, but he'll fix that moving forward. 
Yeah, I think the floor for me is 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 health. Is he going to remain healthy? Mm, you know, a lot of people talked about his frame and his size. Can he remain healthy and be able to be available for the Carolina Panthers at the quarterback position? So while we do the ceiling and the floor, let's look at the ceiling for C.J. Stroud, selected by the Houston Texans. Who, what do you got there for the ceiling? I think uh, another opportunity to win Rookie of the Year. And the thing I like about C.J. Stroud is that the, the Houston Texans are putting together a sneaky good team that I, I don't think a lot of people are actually paying attention to. Their nucleus of skill position players are young, and these guys will be able to build together. Do I think they're going to make the playoffs this year? No, I do not because the AFC is a gauntlet, but I think they have an opportunity to build. In, a, in, a, in about two years, this will be a team that a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, and you know, one sneaky thing that we've talked a little bit about, remember John Mechie uh, lost his rookie season uh, due to a form yep. of leukemia. He is back on the practice field. That's another weapon they'll get back. Uh, C.J. Stroud, you know how much I loved him coming into this. I, I think the ceiling is that we find out Houston's much better than anyone expected. I think it's going to be a well-coached defensive team. The ceiling for C.J. Stroud is 6-7 wins. Uh, but a definitive answer that he's the future. The floor is, uh, I don't know, I don't think the floor is that low for him. I think it's somewhere between five and seven wins for this Houston team. I don't think the floor is going to be falling out for this team. Me either. And I, and I actually look at the Houston Texans um, the next two years, continue to build out their team the way they want to do it and add pieces to the puzzle, add a few veterans. So I think the floor is about five wins for them this season in 2023. Yeah, and by the way... And especially C.J. Stroud as well. As you pointed out, the Jags uh, and the Titans, we're not sure. The Jags look like they're going to be a contender. The Titans, we're not sure if they're in rebuild or they're continuing. Uh, so there's, there's an opportunity for the Texans here to pick up. Uh, speaking of that, as we do the ceiling and the floor for the top rookie quarterbacks this year, Anthony Richardson drafted by the Colts. A lot of rookie quarterbacks uh, dealing with this in this division, right? So, yep. Anthony Richardson for the uh, Colts. I know you were high on the Richardson pick. What's the ceiling for him this year in your mind? I think the ceiling for the Colts would probably be about six wins. And I say that because I'm nervous about, uh, nervous about that offensive line. That's why I'm hoping when, you know, they're in OTAs right now and also training camp, that offensive line wasn't phenomenal last year, but the year before and prior, years prior, they were. They got to get back to, you know what I'm saying, being nasty, being that offensive unit that uh, the quarterback and also that run game can count on. That run game is going to be very, very key for Anthony Richardson with Jonathan Taylor along with himself. Yeah, I love that run game point because to get to that ceiling, which I think is probably five or six games, they're going to need to run the ball well with Anthony Richardson and uh, with with the team overall. So I agree with you on there. The floor for the Colts to me is picking second overall. Uh, Anthony Richardson is going to need a little time and a little patience. Nobody's going to be worse than the Cardinals, but they could have a shot at the second overall pick while their quarterback develops in my mind. Yeah, I think second or third uh, pick in the, in, in the 2024 NFL draft. And with Anthony Richardson, he's so raw. You're going to have those growing pains. But as long as you understand that as an organization, a fan base, and also as a team, I think he'll be okay moving forward. The ceiling and the floor is interesting for the fourth quarterback taken, which is Will Levis, Tennessee Titans. I don't necessarily think uh, – you tell me if I'm wrong, Harry. I think that this is still Ryan Tannehill's team this year. I'd be surprised if Will Levis sees the field much this year. I think the ceiling, frankly, is the the best-case scenario for him is that he doesn't even see the field, and the floor is that he doesn't even see the field. Like I think we're, we're best off for Will Levis' development if Ryan Tannehill is the starter of the Titans all year. Yeah, I think the ceiling and the floor. The ceiling, and I hope this doesn't happen, if Ryan Tannehill happens to get hurt and then now he has to play um, – but you're going to have some growing pains because he's another quarterback that's raw. 
The thing that I do love about him is that he has been in that offensive system that they run in Tennessee already at Kentucky. So the learning curve isn't going to be, you know, massive. I think the floor, um, sitting the entire year and, and, and learning, and it's not a bad floor in those regards. It's just a guy who's sitting behind a veteran quarterback in Ryan Tannehill if he stays healthy, but also learning the tricks of the trade, learning the position at the NFL level, and also getting better every day in practice. Because one thing I do know about uh, Coach Vrabel, if you don't have his trust, he's not putting you in there. Yeah, that you are a 1,000% right. The floor might be that he gets in way too early, that he's not ready for it, plays disastrously, and all of a sudden the Titans have to make a really tough decision with the second overall pick in the draft. But I'll say this. I think the Titans are poised to be a much better team than most of our uh, our uh, coworkers think. I, I, I think people are down on the Titans, and they're going to prove to have more talent than people, people think. That's a little ceiling and floor action for some of the rookie quarterbacks in the NFL. We'll keep breaking it down. But coming up, are we watching one of the greatest playoff runs ever? We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Respond, winning game three in Miami. Now the Heat face a critical game four. Will they bounce back, or will the Nuggets take the commanding 3-1 lead back to Denver? Coverage begins tonight at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ABC, presented by Indeed. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. It's an area on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I have no idea what dance Harry's doing right now on Love Friday. I can't decide if it's making me say no, no, or yes, yes. I well, can't can I tell you out. this? Yeah, yeah, please do. Pretty Ricky was doing during an era where you just had to experience it uh-huh. and understand it. There, there Those of you who are listening right now, if if if, if you were coming up th- during the pretty Ricky era, you understand what I'm talking about right now. That's the most interesting thing of being at a party that has wide age gra- age gaps in some of the people there, where you realize certain songs, you know, certain songs people are bobbing their head to while other people on the same song are thinking about the hibbity-dibbity. I'm just saying that's what happens. <laughs> Tune in, Game 4 of the NBA Finals tonight, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7. 30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations and on Sirius XM Channel 80. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. And Kevin Pelton, ESPN NBA writer extraordinaire, joins us right now. Kevin, I always appreciate your time, man. You wrote about the most impressive championship run in NBA history since Michael Jordan's last title in 98. If the Nuggets win the title, where does this run rank among the best you've seen in the last 25 years? Yeah, I think it's an interesting challenge because, you know, the way I, I did it in that article last week was to based on a formula I put together several years ago that's like your regular season point differential, your playoff point differential adjusted for who you play. And one of the challenges with that now is because of the fact that the, the playoffs seem so disconnected from the regular season is you've got like an eighth seed in the NBA Finals in a non-lockout year that, you know, statistically this Miami, this Denver run would not necessarily rate very well because 
because the teams they played three teams that were seeded seven or lower. It's the, the highest total combination of seeds anyone's ever played. But you know when you look at it subjectively. Uh, the, those teams have been much better, I think, than, than their seats or their regular season performance would indicate. And Denver, you know, has comfortably taken care of uh, all of them so far. And now after that impressive Game 3 win, seem to be on their way to doing it again against Miami. So, Kevin, having a couple of days to think about it, what has been your biggest takeaway from the dual 30-point triple-double from Jokic and also Jamal Murray? Yeah, I mean, the ability for both of those guys to, to be going at the same time because, you know, so much of the talk after game two was about, you know, Miami letting Jokic score, so to speak. And, you know, game three was a, a good example of, look, Jokic can get his, as he, he did repeatedly in this game, that game and, and particularly in the, in the first half and still be enough of a of a factor with his playmaking to, to get other players involved. I mean, I don't think that, you know, my, my friend Seth Carinara referred to it as like, look, they're superstars because there's not like one simple trick to keep them from dominating. Uh, but I do think the Nuggets are at their most dangerous when Jokic is able to, to bring that playmaking element as well and get other guys going. And in this case, both Jamal Murray and then off the bench, Christian Brown. So that's what makes the Nuggets the most dangerous. What makes the Heat the most dangerous in your mind? That you can never write them out off, I think. <laughs> so, you know, that's what's that's what's so interesting going into tonight's game four. And, and in many ways, I think this really is the series. It's kind of where I expected we'd get to having picked uh, Denver in six before the series in terms of, you know, if Miami can tie this up tonight at home, then we have a real series and a chance for it to go. We know we'd go at least six games and potentially seven. If not, down 3-1 going, going to Denver would be very difficult for Miami to rally at that point. So this is a very pivotal game four for the Miami Heat, which is a bigger concern for them. The size advantage that they don't have or how much they struggle from three in game three? I think how much they struggled in Game Three because we saw that you know with Kevin Love in the lineup in Game Two they they had enough size on the court to be able to you know handle Denver's Denver's size if not entirely uh, you know negate the advantage there but you know I I think it's interesting because again a lot of the focus has been on Denver's offense over the course of this series and the different ways that they've played but. You know, aside from kind of the fourth quarter of game one when their offense flamed out, it's been pretty consistent from game to game in this series. And the variable that's changed is how much offense Miami has been able to get. Not much in games one and game three and and a lot in game two. And, you know, that the three-point shooting is a key driver of that. They, they made a ton of them in game two. Did not get as high quality of looks in game three. And then particularly after halftime, just did not get up a lot of threes in general. And, and that's something I think they're going to need to be able to do tonight is break down this Denver defense, get them in rotation, and create those open three-point looks. We're talking to Kevin Pelton, ESPN NBA writer on Fitz and Harry. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. So, I just, just generally educate me here, Kevin, because every game we talk about adjustments, adjustments, adjustments. For you, when you're watching this, how much of it is about adjustment versus execution? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like adjustments are overrated in terms of, you know, kind of the impact on who wins and loses a game. To me, that's much more driven by the shot-making factor that we just talked about. But you can't control that. So what you can control is a, is a coaching staff between game to game or those uh, adjustments and, and things like that. I mean, by this course of, point in the course of the series, you're usually not going to have dramatic 
changes in terms of, you know, who's guarding who, the matchups and things like that. But, you know, where the focus is offensively, uh, you know, those elements, I think, you know, what kind of plays you're calling early? Is it trying to get Bam out of bio at the high post and, or get him off the pick and roll, which has been really successful for them in this series? Or is a lot more getting Jimmy Butler isolations and, and letting him work? You know, I think those are the questions we'll be looking at uh, early in this game in terms of how Eric Spolstra adapts. Kevin, last one we have for you. If the Heat are to win tonight, who will be the unsung hero and why? I think you know. I feel like we you know we got a little bit more of one in in uh, game game three certainly than the first couple of games in the series in Denver. But uh, they, they may need another Caleb Martin game to uh, you know play kind of if not as well as he played in the Eastern Conference Finals, at least uh, a reasonable facsimile of, of that compared to what we've seen so far in this series. Kevin, as always, my friend, we appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Enjoy the game tonight. Yeah, we'll do. Thanks as always for having me. Game four, Nuggets at Heat. The Nuggets lead this series two games to one. You know that at this point. Coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. You know that also. Coming up, everyone's talking about a potential dynasty for the Nuggets, and there's one team that we don't even have to wonder about a potential dynasty because, well, they're already there. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. I mean, it's Love Friday. I'd apologize for it, but I'm not even sorry. I might need to take the next segment off. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. It's got me in my feels. Tonight, Game 4, Nuggets Heat. Nuggets lead 2-1. Coverage begins 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. We keep talking about, are we on the verge of a dynasty in the NBA? Let's be clear about the fact that we are seeing a dynasty right now as Oklahoma wins the 2023 Women's uh, Softball Championship uh, World Series. And at some point here, you just got to ask, my God, what else can they accomplish, Harry? This is three championships in three years. It's six championships in 10 years. It's seven championships overall. And it is a level of domination that's absolutely incredible. But with that comes a level of pressure. And I thought of this immediately when I heard this, because for you and, and everything that you've played through and everything the athlete knows, sometimes we talk about pressure in front of a microphone and you don't really get a sense of it until after it happens. I want you to hear this. I want your reaction. Patty Gasso, the Oklahoma softball head coach, said this at her press conference afterwards about the relationship Relief that has come from winning not not one championship, but their third consecutive. I don't know how to explain it. I just can tell you the way I feel right now is free because the expectation is overwhelming. 
the pressure is overwhelming. Like, I just want to go to Costco and shop and no one care that I'm there. That's real though, Fitz. Um, what she's talking about, that pressure and, you know, to the point to where they finally won this, this national championship. Being able to just do the simple things and go to Costco and just not have to worry about, okay, how am I going to game plan for this next game? What lineup am I going to put together? Uh, what pieces do I need to put together? Just being able to do everyday life things. What, 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 what Gasso was saying right there is real life. And I would say this, th these women are phenomenal. Um, they went 61-1 and one this season, third straight national championship in women's softball. But being able to handle the pressure, them as players, as college students, they've been amazing in, the, in those regards. And I watched some of that game yesterday, um, a, a, good, a good amount of it. And I was just amazed. I remember Florida State had like two runners on base and a girl hit a ball that I thought was going out of the park. And one of the players for Oklahoma robbed her of a home run. And just recently, it happened to Oklahoma. The same girl that got robbed of the home run robbed one of the Oklahoma players the game before of a home run. So it was just fascinating to see. And then being able to see Oklahoma having the bases loaded, right, with nobody out. And you talk about pressure for Florida State's team as well, being able to get out of that inning without giving up runs. But what Oklahoma has been able to do, uh, one thing comes to mind for me, consistent, uh, consistency. Being able to be consistent and being dominant every single year, understanding what the standard is, understanding the expectations every time you come into a season, but being able to finish and live up to the expectations have been phenomenal for the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, uh, an NCAA record 53 wins, and counting, by the way, and facing the same questions that happen every time there's dominance. And this is what makes no sense to me. We spend so much time as a media begging to see another dynasty. Oh, is this going to be, are the Nuggets going to turn into a dynasty? Are the Chiefs a dynasty? A first take topic every single time somebody wins anything. Are they going to be a dynasty? When the Eagles win a Super Bowl, can they win four? It, it, this is what happens every single time. And then when you've got something like this happening in women's softball that's absolutely incredible, suddenly you've got coach being asked if it's good for the game. And it's it's wild to me because there's this I'm using air quotes for anyone watching in the app. There's already considered Oklahoma fatigue, and and Coach Gasso actually came back said it's like UConn's women's basketball winning championships how many years in a row? This is boring. It isn't good for the women's game to have an elite team. My God, like the hardest part about all of this is there's an asinine amount of pressure on this entire program to only win, and then when they win, instead of turning around and saying, "Holy cow, we are seeing the epitome of greatness," we turn around and we say, "Hey, is it really good?" Like, like we need to have more competitive balance. Like, what is it that is going to keep all of us happy? Because I feel for Coach, you you hear the emotion in her mm -hmm. words. I feel for these players that are living under this constant cloud of pressure that comes with this, where the only ex the only result that won't be a failure is a championship. And then even when they win a championship, suddenly the entire sport is faulted for not having competitive well, balance. And I will say this too, Fitz, because when you when you win back to back national championships. You know, a lot of people would say, okay, well, these women have a target on their back from whoever they're playing. And the great head coaches don't, you know, use those type of words when it comes to delivering message to their teams. They're not going to sit up there and allow their teams to be the hunted, but they continue to, you know, reiterate to them that they're going to do the hunting. 
right? Instead of having that target on the back and being the being hunted, we're going to do the hunting and we're not going to let anyone catch us slipping. So being able to deliver that message and everyone from top to bottom, every single player, everyone within that program, being able to actually have that mindset. I think it's awesome is on, on top of everything else. Yeah, and it, it's really incredible to me. There's a very deep dive article on ESPN.com. You should go out, you should read it, and you should check it out because it gives you a real insight of what they've built at Oklahoma. And, you know, getting this 2023 20, uh, WCWS championship for Oklahoma was always the expectation because they have the best talent in the world, and uh, that is at this point what people think they should do every single time they step out on the field. The thing for me is that I just want to take a second in a world where we constantly demand greatness to appreciate greatness. Three straight titles, 53 wins. When you talk about that level of dominance, I don't care if you're talking about uh, softball. I don't care if you're talking about hockey. I don't care if you're talking about the NFL. When you start talking about three straight championships, the level of standard that it takes and the inability to allow yourself to have a letdown that is demanded in that process to me is one of the most spectacular portions of it. Because how often do we say, right now, as Georgia is going to try and get three straight I'm championships. I'm glad you said it. Like, I'm glad you said it, Fitz, because I was going there the next. Georgia is going to feel that pressure in 2023 because they have a fairly easy regular season schedule. Now, when they get to the SEC championship game, because I believe they're going to make it in the college football playoffs, that's when Kirby Smart is going to have to grab his team and make sure they don't get, you know, tight and understand the task at hand and let them know you have an opportunity to do something very, very special. How often do we hear, well, everybody brings their best for the champion? And then how often do we hear it's hard to keep everybody focused when all you do is win? Oklahoma has taken the best from everybody and they have given their best consistently throughout the process. Not only do they have three straight championships, not only do they have seven championships overall, they've shown a level of dynasty that at least for a day, instead of wondering what's next and how to compete with it, everybody should just enjoy. Tune in for baseball action tomorrow. The Phillies host the Dodgers. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up, why even the butler needs some help right now. We'll do it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.